It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Pastor Steve is in the mainland doing a wedding right now, so I'm just filling in for him uh, this morning. And so, so glad to have all of you. Packed house, a little hot. But if you don't have a Bible, I would like to start off by saying there are Bibles in the back. And if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll have one of our ushers bring one to you this morning. Amen? We're good? All right, so we're going to be in Mark chapter 8. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8, so I'm going to give you some time to get there. Um, I'm just really following along of what we were doing on Wednesday nights, and on Wednesday nights we've been going through uh, the gospel, but I said this before, it's, um, we're not going through one gospel, we're going through all gospels. We're following Jesus' footsteps chronologically, so we're kind of jumping back and forth, and um, it's not... So it's kind of linear, but it's going um, between each gospel. And so what I want to do right now is actually read the portion, and then I'm going to kind of summarize it. We're going to close out and pray, and we're going to worship Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, so verse 22 I'm reading out of the NASB goes like this. Mark 8, and they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? I don't know why, just quick note, I don't know why Jesus did did that method, but it's different for everybody, right? He works on everybody. Okay, 24, and he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then, he, then, he, then again, he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked uh, intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. 27, Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples, saying to them, who do people say that I am? They told him, saying, Well, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he warned them not to tell anybody or tell no one about him. Verse 31, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests. And the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. 32, and he was stating the matter plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. And verse 34, he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever wishes, wait, but whoever loses his life, wait, sorry. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous generation and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory 
of his Father with his holy angels. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for this time together, Lord. I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us this morning, Lord. And I just ask that you would give us a very powerful and unique message um, corporately, but also individually, individually, Lord. I pray that you would not just speak to our minds, Lord, so we would know more things, but that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would open our hearts this morning, Lord, and that we would see you for all that you are. God, you're so loving and compassionate. And we're so blessed to be here this morning to sit with you and to just be with you, Lord God. And so we praise you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a blessing to be up here. Um, heard Pastor Keone give a message yesterday, and it's just a blessing to hear that. If you guys, there's a men's rally going on, and I think, I don't know, is it every quarter? Quarterly? Quarterly? If you guys can make it, it'd be awesome. Just go there and get filled up and get fired up and come to the table and just be transparent about everything. And, it's, uh, and, it's, and there's so much grace and forgiveness and love, and that's, who, that's the God we serve. And so it's such a blessing for me to be up here. And so about seven years ago, um, I ended up here, right here on this rock, Kauai, in the ministry called U-Turn for Christ. I asked Pastor Keone if he was bringing some shirts. I really wanted to rock the shirt so you guys know what I was talking about. And for those listening online, if you know anything, anything about this ministry or you've been to this ministry or been in this ministry or through it, it's like discipleship on steroids. Serious. It's like discipleship on steroids. Just go, 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 Jesus, 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 sun up to sundown. But during my time there, I've seen many things happening in my life that were completely beyond me. Like, beyond me. Like, by the time I knew it, as time went by, by the time I knew it, I realized to myself, oh my gosh, this is the longest I haven't gotten high. <laughs> like, this is the longest I haven't gotten high. Then a few months went by and I realized I was steadily working a nine-to-five job again. I did that once. I did that. I felt myself gradually, gradually, slowly making my way back into society as a contributing citizen or a loving citizen and not some kind of criminal anymore. And so check this out, max capacity back then, I don't know how much it is now, max capacity back then was about 16 guys. And with 16 guys, you have 16 grown men who haven't eaten any food in about three years. Like, it's like that. And yet, there was never a day where we went hungry. Never. We always had food in the fridge. Always. We always had money in our pockets to keep us going. But throughout the year, the only change wasn't in our weight. That's what a lot of people say, the only change is in your weight. It wasn't in only in our weight. I would see it in every area of these men's lives, every area, in different degrees. And I would see radical transformation, like mind-blowing transformation in these men's lives. And all we brought to the table was our broken selves. That's it. That's the deal. Only to leave this place with our lives restored. Marriages put back together. I've seen it. Delivered from addiction. I've seen that. Families brought back together. 
Dads get to see their children. Children proud as heck of their dads. And with all of these things happening around me, it wasn't until later that I realized what John was saying in his gospel. With all of the restoration that was taking place, every healing, every breakthrough, they all pointed to one person. They all pointed to one purpose. And this is what John says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. What John is saying is that there were so many other miracles, I just didn't write them down. But I'm giving you seven. And he says this, but these have been written to you so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ. Christ is not his last name. You don't call Jesus Mr. Christ. Christ, <laughs> Christ is the title. Christ means the Messiah. Christ means the chosen one, the anointed one. He was sent by God to be a king and a deliverer. Not politically. Not to overthrow Rome. Not to overthrow pagan nations. But to overthrow the only thing that stands in our way today, which is sin and death. There is no greater enemy in this lifetime that will keep you in your grave. It's not housing prices. It's not aliens. There's <laughs> a lot of talk about aliens right now. It's the reason why Jesus came to seek and save which was lost and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is why we're here. And the gospel changes everything. Jesus came so that we might know him as the Christ who is the son of God so that by believing in him, all right? So by believing, right? So there's no other, by believing in him, you may have what? Life. Everybody knows that. You may have life in his name. The opposite of life is what? Death. The opposite of death is life. And I know some of us here might be thinking about our physical lives, but that's not the word being used here at all. Not that you care about the Greek, but it's pretty important. The Greek word for physical life is bios, just in case you didn't know. The Greek word for physical life is bios. The word that John uses here in his gospel is zoe. It is a life that transcends our physical life. If I can use that word transcends, kind of dangerous these days with the whole new age thing, but trend. it transcends our physical life. I didn't know how else to put it. But here's the definition for you guys, for us. The absolute fullness of life, right? The absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which belongs to God. So three things, fullness of life, this means that true life begins with this life, all right? Fullness of life, absolute fullness of life. Fullness of life begins with this life. Second thing, essential and ethical, meaning this life 
shapes and forms every area of our lives, including identity. And this is the third thing. It belongs to God. <laughs> it, it belongs to God. This means you and I have a life that matters infinitely more than this physical one. You guys hear me? All right? You guys have a life that matters infinitely more than this physical one right now. To put it in Greek English, you and I have a Zoe life that cannot be met with bios living. You hear me? You and I have a Zoe life that cannot be met with bios living. This means Jesus did not come to save us only to fix our lives, but to be our lives. It belongs to God. He didn't come to save us so that we might just have a better life, but to live a new one. And what I've been seeing over the years of ministry is God do amazing things, amazing things in people's lives only for those same people to miss the life that only Jesus can give them. Man, I've seen him part C's for people to get here. Part C's. I've seen Jesus heal and restore people only for those same people to miss the person and the purpose altogether. And so what's happening in Mark chapter 8? Thanks for asking. This is what's happening in Mark chapter 8. You would think that after seeing all of the miracles of Jesus healing the sick and feeding thousands and casting out demons and even raising dead people to life, I mean, if I was there, I'd be, I mean, I don't know. His disciples would finally look at each other and say, man, this is the guy. This is the guy. He must be who he claims to be. What more do we need in this life? But the truth is they didn't fully see him either. They didn't. Even though they've seen all of the signs and all of the miracles and all of the great things, their hearts were still blind towards the person and the meaning behind them. And it would show here as they got back into the boat, this is kind of what's going on in chapter 8. Jesus just fed 4,000 hungry people with just a few loaves and some fish. And their discussion wasn't, how great is our God? Right, like that was amazing. What more do we need in this life? Their discussion was, we forgot the leftovers. That's what they were talking about. Their discussion wasn't, how great is our God? Their discussion was, we forgot the leftovers. And because we forgot the leftovers, we're going to starve. Jesus just fed you. Like he just took care of you. It's one thing to forget the bread. That's irresponsible. But it's another thing to forget the one who multiplied it. That's unbelief. In their minds, it would be the leftovers that would sustain them for the rest of the journey. But it was Jesus who fed them. Their eyes are on the wrong thing. 
And so their concern over the lack of bread means their faith is in the wrong bread, right? And so in John chapter 6, Jesus gives us a teaching about bread. Quick teaching. I mean, it's, I think it's the longest chapter in John, John chapter 6. It's not a quick teaching, but you can read it pretty quickly. He told this crowd of people, man, you guys work so hard. Like, you guys work so hard coming from so far for this physical bread. You put in all this effort and all this work for food that lasts just for a moment. And I say for a moment because you're here again. And the reason you're here again is because you're hungry again. It's almost like Jesus is saying, aren't you tired of doing the same thing? That's all he's trying to say. And all Jesus was really trying to say is that there is so much more to life than just eating and drinking. That's miserable. You ask me for a sign. You keep asking me for a sign. You demand a sign to feed you, but you already know I can provide for you. Why do you keep asking? This bread that I gave to you, you can get that bread anywhere. You just go to Foodland. I'm not here to give you more of what you already have. That's not why I was sent. See, in this chapter, he's saying, I'm not here to give you bread. I'm not. I'm not here to prove to you I can give you more bread. What he's saying is this, I came here to be your bread. I came here to be your bread. Jesus said this in this chapter, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. That means satisfied, full. He who believes in me will not thirst. That means you're quenched. This means God is not only our means of life this morning, meaning Jesus is both provider and sustainer because everything you have is from him. But when Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life, he is saying this, I am the very meaning of life. Not just the means of life, I am the meaning of life. There is no other meaning to life. And if Jesus claims to be all that he claims to be, then which life are we more concerned about today? Honest question is for me too. Which life are we more concerned about today? Because like his disciples, as we're going from place to place, as we're journeying through life, do we truly see who we have in the boat with us? Or do we still believe that this life has something to offer us that Jesus can't? And so what he's doing is just preparing his disciples. He's preparing his disciples to eventually take the torch because that's what they're going to do. They're going to take the torch. Because it would be this gospel right here that would turn this world upside down in the best way. And I know this because I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in so many people's lives. And so the, que uh, so the question today, and I just want to start with this question. I'm almost there, almost done. I'm going to close up pretty soon. So the question today isn't which bread is better. We're past that. We're so past that, right? The question for us is this. Do you see Jesus 
as the only bread which gives life among all the other bread. That's all you got to that's all you have to weigh out today. Do you see Jesus as the only bread which gives life among all the other bread? Because on this day his disciples would finally put the pieces together. Like seriously? This long? See, what would happen is that they would actually look back and be reminded of all that Jesus has done for them. That's the key, look back. They would look back and be reminded of all that Jesus has done for them. It doesn't mean they followed him perfectly. That's not what he's saying. It's not that. It doesn't mean they understood everything there is to know about Christianity and theology and eschatology. That's just a big word for end times. But it would be on this day where they begin to see Jesus for all that he is. And so let's quickly look back in verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, right? It says this, they came to Bethsaida, brought a blind man to Jesus, implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village and spitting on his eyes, laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? Excuse me. And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes, and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. Bethsaida's already rejected Jesus. There's a, there's a lot of rejection of Jesus going around already at this time in his ministry. He just says, don't go back there, go home. And so in this miracle, Jesus healed this man in two phases. Out of all the miracles that took place, this is one of the miracles that wasn't instantaneous, like bang. Because usually it's like, get up, you're not dead, right? Like, you're not sick anymore. You can see, get up, stand up and walk. It wasn't like that. Out of all the miracles, it wasn't like that. It was in two phases. But what I believe about this healing, and you guys can have your own opinion about it, is that it follows the context of this chapter. This man was physically blind, but it would also represent the blindness of his disciples. His vision started off blurry, but he would eventually start to see things clearly, eventually. And so with his disciples, they would eventually see, see Jesus as their Messiah. But this was a gradual process, a gradual process of two and a half years and constant reminders that would nurture this truth, this specific truth. And that's exactly what this is, church. It's a gradual process. Give yourself some grace. Spiritual maturity takes time. Understanding takes time. Growth takes time. And getting to know Jesus takes time. No one plants a seed and gets a garden the next day. No one. There comes moments and seasons where we go, ah, that's what you're doing, Lord. Oh my goodness, that's what he was saying. Oh, I should have listened to that person. That really bit me in my butt. <laughs> moments, there are so much moments like that and moments where we overcome certain sin. Anybody been there? Moments where we overcome certain desires and compulsions. I know. There's no difference between me and you. 
and we see major breakthrough, and our lives and our attitude become what? More and more and more and more sanctified. But this isn't what makes us Christians. We're not saved by our behavior. We're saved by believing. Jesus never said to behave. He said to believe. Jesus did not come to just make us morally better people, although it's part of it. It's not the gospel. Jesus came into this world, stepped into our lives so that we might believe in him. That's it. This word believe means to be convinced of, to be persuaded of, to trust in. It's more than just knowing, it's to trust, to put our confidence in. That's our everything. And so what Jesus does, he's bringing his disciples way up north, like Kilauea north. Not, this, is, this is way up north. And by now, Jesus is well known among Israel, well known. And what he does is ask them this question, right? Who do people say that I am? Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say one of the prophets. But the question was for his disciples. The question was for the ones closest to him. But who do you say that I am? And he would ask them this question in Caesarea Philippi, and I had to kind of look up this region and what was really going on in this place. This place was known for pagan worship, mental pagan worship. It was known as the city where gods were made and gods were born. It was a city where gods were made and gods were born. All kinds of gods. Greek gods, Roman gods. And so I believe Jesus chose this place. Jesus being the one true God. He would stand in the midst of every other false God and every false belief, and he would ask the ones closest to him, you and I right now, but who do you say that I am? See, after all we've been through, after every healing, providing, every feeding, every demon casted out, raising the dead, every teaching, every claim, do you see me more than just a miracle worker in your life? Because some just want healing. That's all they want. Some just want restoration. Some provision. But do you believe me to be more than your healer? More than your provider? More than your sustainer? More than your helper? More than, do you believe me to be your God and your Savior? Because this is who Jesus claims to be. This day, Peter would finally see Jesus as the Messiah. It was this day. Peter and his disciples. Peter's just the one speaking up because he always likes to talk. And his confession would be the beginning of a life-changing message that would eventually save many people like you and me. And it did. The gospel made its way here. We're a long ways from Galilee. We're in Kauai. We're at the end of the earth. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, you are what? Peter. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. 
Gates are never used in the offense. Gates are meant to keep people in. What this is, it is a picture of Jesus snatching people out of their graves. That's the picture he's painting. Death has no power over those who put their faith in Jesus. None. That's why it's called life. <laughs> Not just physical life, eternal life. And this would, only be, uh, this would only be made possible because of what? Jesus did on the cross, that cross. Not that cross, but that cross. He died in our place for our sins so that what? We might be forgiven. So that we might be forgiven. That's the gospel. And on the third day, Jesus rose again, proving one thing. Death has been defeated. Like death died. You ever heard it like that? Death died. And if the grave couldn't hold Jesus, it doesn't hold us down either. I want to encourage you guys with that this morning. Those of us who put our faith in Jesus have been raised from death to life. From death to life. Life now. Peter, I love this, didn't really understand why Jesus had to suffer many things and later on die. And we get it. There's just things we don't know. He only could see really what he felt was right and not the bigger picture. But it was only later what he realized what Jesus came to do. And so those of us here this morning, I want to remind you today that God is with you. That God sees you and he is fully aware of what's going on and happening in your life right now. He doesn't skip a beat. But we are called to not just know that, we are called to trust him during this time and rest in the fact that he knows what he's doing. Amen? Because he knows what he's doing. And as a savior, he's not only saved our lives, but he's calling us into life. He not only saved our lives, but he's calling us into life. Not to just receive it, but to possess it. He didn't save our lives so we can continue living the way we've always lived. He saved our lives so we could live a new one, a full one. That's where it begins. But this life is only found when we make Jesus our life. It's life for life. That's what he says. It's life for life. It's not, I'm just going to stop getting high and I want all of you. It's not 20% of me and 100% Jesus. It's 100% me, 100% Jesus. Life for life. <laughs> but it begins with this question, and I think it's the question that we all need to answer. Who do you say that I am? Amen? Yes. Father, we love you and we thank you, God. And we continue to put our trust and our faith in you, Lord, and we just trust that you are working all things out in our lives this morning. Father, I pray that you would meet with the broken this morning. I pray that you would comfort them, Lord God. I pray um, 
if our lives are feeling chaotic right now, Father, I pray that you would flood them with peace, Lord, right now. And if we're feeling bitterness and hate, Lord God, would we just see your love in this time? Father, we don't want to walk out of this place with a list of things to do and how to treat our wives better and just how to love others. Lord, we want to leave this place worshiping you. That's what changes us. That's what changes our hearts. And so, Father, help us to see you for all that you are this morning, our God and our Savior. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people say, amen. amen. amen.